0: Uh we're glad to have you today. Uh my name's Steve Cunningham. I get to also do the announcements. Hey, I like you too, by the way. Uh, um, uh, I get to do the announcements today, and I'm gonna go ahead and dismiss the kids on off to their uh class as well. And so uh I don't know what's going on with my son in the trench coat today, but uh keep keep an eye on that guy. Uh <laughs> That's right. If uh if you know if you've been around for Wellhouse very uh long, you know that one of the things that we uh, strive to do is be wildly generous because we believe that is Uh, The characteristic of the God that we serve, who is wildly generous, that he would give his very best for our very worst. And so we encourage each other to do that. You can do that either by jumping on the Push Pay app and you can donate. Uh, We have a red give box back there. You can donate that way or you can jump online and give through there. And we try our very best to utilize those funds and our energy and our resources to help further uh, the gospel here on earth. Our goal is to change the landscape of our community. And our community uh, needs shaped in the image of God, and that's what we want to do. So we encourage you to participate in that. Um, We want to let you know of a couple of things coming up uh, that we're really excited about uh, on Sunday, March 3rd, is uh, student takeover. We do that about once a quarter, and we invite uh, our students to lead all areas of, of service. And so they'll be running screens, and they'll be uh, helping in various aspects. They'll also be leading worship. So we're really, really excited about that, and we encourage you to be a part of that. We want to, uh, we want to empower and encourage the next generation in their growth with God, and so we encourage you to come out for that. Also, on March 23rd, uh, we're going to be having a huge uh, Easter extravaganza, and I really want you to like take out your phone and put these two dates in there. One is Saturday, March 23rd. Uh, some of you have your phones out. Some of you don't yet, but go ahead and grab them. I'm serious. Go ahead and grab them. This will be important. Uh, Saturday, March 23rd. Uh, we're going to have a, like a short service before that time because we're not going to have service on the 24th. So you want to make sure you put that in your calendar. We won't have service on the 24th, which is a Sunday. We're going to have it kind of previous on the 23rd, and then we're going to spend the rest of the day serving our community. And there'll be a Easter egg hunt like you've never had before. We'll have Kona Ice here. We're going to have some really cool games. We'll have a lot of food. I've heard there's going to be like balloon artists. Uh, that will not be me i, I but uh, somebody somebody who 's talented at that will be here uh, so there 's a lot of opportunity for you to serve and in- Uh, greet the community this is kind of our first big event here in in Millersville and we're excited to be able to do that so we need a lot of people who can help uh, meet and greet the community so we encourage you to be a part I know there's a lot of people who are kind of overseeing different areas they might be shoulder tapping you here in the next uh, week or two and uh, be ready to tell them yes jump in we would love to have you be a part of that um We are kind of kicking off a new series. We ended our last series um, in City on a Hill, and really the idea of that was to kind of look at what does God call us to be? What does He call us to do? Uh, as Christ followers in the world, uh, because it's one thing to believe something, it's a whole other thing to do it, right? We all know a lot of good things to do, but it's usually not the lack of knowledge that impedes us. It's the action, it's the putting in of things. And so uh, as Christ called us to be salt and light, those are action things. And so we looked at what does it look like in a community to be salt and light to uh, to our world. And uh, as I kind of began to think through that, and last year as I was anticipating uh, this series, The Heart of God, that we're going to be launching into today, I recognized that with... Um, with most words, uh, with most terms, with most phrases, uh, th- there there can be a lot of different meanings. In fact, you if you have ever been in a relationship, whether you've been dating somebody or married or maybe you have children, uh, then you recognize that terms can mean different things to different people, right? Uh, if you've had kids before or maybe a spouse before and you said like, hey, did you clean whatever it is, and they say, yes, well, your clean and their clean may be completely different, right? You have different terms and different understandings of what words mean. And what I've also found out about life is that sometimes terms, words, can have a lot of baggage with them. In fact, sometimes we will say like, oh, that word is a loaded word. And so as I was going through my undergrad and, we, and I, I did a, a part of my undergrad in psychology, uh, I remember we did a lot of um, uh, just kind of assessments and a lot of uh, studies and we helped uh, the doctoral program with a lot of their studies and a part of what our job was to go through and look at questionnaires that had loaded terms and we try to take those words out and try to exchange them for words that maybe weren't quite as loaded. And so some of those things can be kind of lighthearted, those those phrases of those words. So in your family, you know, the 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 phrase what do you want for dinner might feel like a little bit of a loaded phrase, right? It's like, what do you want for dinner? I don't know what you want for dinner, and you kind of throw that back and forth because you know ultimately somebody wants something, but you're not sure what it is, and you don't want to overly say it. You want to get that person to that point where they kind of choose it for themselves or choose it for you. And so a phrase like that oftentimes can feel a bit loaded, or uh, maybe the phrase, whatever you want to do. Now, guys, I will tell you this, that's usually a dare. It's not whatever you want to do, right? There's a little bit of a dare that's involved with that. But that phrase can feel loaded, right? That, that phrase can feel like, I'm not sure it's really whatever I want to do. Maybe that's not the best advice. But sometimes, sometimes those words can be even more pointed. Maybe you've heard the term being a Karen or a Chad, Right? And all of a sudden, there's some baggage that comes with that. You know, you, you understand that in a certain way that automatically denotes what somebody's acting like, right? And I've heard my kids talk about, you know, like, listen, Dad, they were being such a Karen, you know? And I'm like, describe for me what that really means to you. Is that, is that something that they, they did something that you didn't like, Is this somebody who's kind of trying to follow the rules and you you want them to bit? What, What does that mean for you, right? Maybe the term is terrorist. And all of a sudden there's images or there's thoughts in your mind of what that person may look like or act like or believe. And maybe it's feminist or radical or liberal or conservative or evangelical or progressive. And the list could go on and on, and I could make you increasingly more uncomfortable with terms that I could use, but the point is the same, is that terms that we use a lot of times not only have other meanings, and we oftentimes don't define those very well, but they come with baggage. And oftentimes, when we hear a word and we have baggage associated with it, it, it it affects the way we interact with that word. And this is huge because as we start off in this series, the heart of God, I think there's some things that we have to overcome. For some of us, for some of us, uh, the term God itself can be difficult. See, the baggage that we carry with terms generally comes from two sources. And this is important for you, and it doesn't have necessarily anything to do uh, with religion or God or the church at all, but it's just a seems to be a true fact in, in, uh, in our cultures that there's two sources that generally impact the baggage. It's first uh, who we know, and then second, how we feel. Uh, you might say it's our experiences. And how we feel about our experiences. So for some of you, the term father feels good. And for others of you, the term father makes you bristle. Because of who you know and how you feel about that. And so, for some people, when they hear the word God, all of a sudden, they they may feel kind of bristled by that because of who they knew and how they felt about that made them have a reaction. They have a baggage to that word. Other people hear God and they may think of really good things. They may think of sweet memories. They may think of growing up in church and seeing godly examples of people. And therefore, they have a strong sense of who God is. Some people, as they hear the word God, they may go back to uh, verses that they memorize and hold to during hard times or difficult times or trying times or good times. It seems to ground them in things. But I think it's really important that if we look at the character or the heart of God, who God truly is, that we don't allow our feelings, or other people to dictate that for us. That we would take, as oftentimes I try to remind my kids to do, before you begin to label somebody something that feels negative or disparaging, before you put a stereotype on somebody, try to learn about them first, is that what I want to do with us over the next several weeks together is truly take a look at who God is and His character, not how we feel about it, or not who we've known associated with it, but who God truly is, because the more clearly we see God, the more clearly we understand His creation. And this is true of almost every area of life, that the more we understand who a creator of something is, the more we understand how that creation came to be. In fact, this is uh, really interesting. I've been to a couple of art uh, exhibits, and some of you really, really love art, and I love that about you. Um, I don't understand art most of the time, I'll be honest. I've gone to art exhibits, and I look at something, on them, like, I feel like I could have done that, you know? And I'm not talented at all. I just... It's, that looks like I'm looking at something I did, you know, at one point in time and the teacher's like, that's terrible, you know, but but lo and behold, I could have put in an art exhibit, you know. and so it doesn't make sense to me, it doesn't speak to me, but I've had people who've walked around with me, and they'll share about the artist, and in fact, they'll share about the artist and the era in which they were painting that, or they were designing that, or they were sculpting that thing, and they said, yeah, this is the era of, of which they were kind of connecting with the soul, or they were connecting uh, with, with the things around them, and so this, this aspect, if you look at these pieces of, of the way they created this, they sculpted this, they painted this. You'll see aspects of that in what they designed, and this is true of God. See, if we can put for just a little bit of of who we knew and how we feel aside, then we can more clearly not only see who God is, but we can actually understand His creation just a little bit more. And I wanted to start with A characteristic of God that is not only the most noted throughout all of Scripture, but also probably our least favorite characteristic of God. It's it's the one that I think probably bristles us most. It's, It's the one that we can't identify with the most. It's this characteristic of holy. That God is a holy being. And I think there's a reason why we oftentimes leave this aspect out. If you ask somebody, kind of describe God. If you ask a kid, you know, he might say like, it's an old guy with a long beard and a flowing, right? You know, or maybe you describe him as uh, judgmental or maybe you describe him as loving. Uh, Oftentimes we don't describe God as holy, And I think there's a reason why. And I think a lot of times we associate it with things that we've known that appear to be holy. And they seem serious. And they seem strict. And they seem rigid. And they seem no fun. And they seem judgmental. And they seem like they're always rule keeping or keeping the score. And we think to ourselves, I don't like that. If that's what holy is, then I don't want God to be holy because that sounds like no fun. And if I'm going to be a part of this religious thing, if I'm going to believe in this God thing, then I don't want to feel judged and I don't want to feel like somebody's keeping score and I don't want to feel like somebody's being strict. And so I don't particularly like the word or the baggage that comes with it. I think there's another reason why we don't necessarily like that word because. Some of the baggage comes from an overwhelming fear or guilt or shame. If you're like me and you have a past, and your past doesn't paint you in the best of lights, then understanding God as a holy person who is without sin seems like, man, a second I get into that Spot, I feel like I should be ashamed of myself. I feel like there's something that I should fear because I'm not going to measure up. Because I know who I've known before. And I know how they made me feel. And I don't want to be a part of that if that is what holiness is about. If you have your Bible, I'm going to go ahead and Ask you to open it up to Isaiah chapter 6. That's where we're going to camp most of the day today. Although we're going to flip around to a couple other places. But uh, Isaiah chapter 6, you can, you can flip over. You can actually scroll open if you go to your Bible, uh, the YouVersion Bible app. We have it all right there for you in advance. Uh, you can go there. And here's the thing the, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you're not familiar with this guy named Isaiah, he was a prophet. And he was a prophet during uh, the time where really Israel had been, it had been already divided into kind of two nations. And uh, Israel was on the decline. Uh, Israel was being taken over by uh, the Assyrian Empire and things were not going so well. And so this is the time in which Isaiah becomes a prophet. And really what a prophet is, we sometimes think about foreseeing the future, foretelling the future. And there's a little bit of that, but really what it is is that it's speaking to the people on behalf of God, that God is using them as an instrument Uh, for his people, to call his people back to him. And this is what Isaiah and all the prophets of the Old Testament are doing. So this is what what we have in the Old Testament is is a kind of a compilation of some things that happened during Isaiah's lifetime and during the time when he was a prophet. And during the first part uh, of Isaiah, the first several chapters, in fact, the first five chapters, what we read about is that Isaiah is warning the people. He's telling them, listen, you know, you have done some really terrible things. You've done some bad things. You have have not followed God the way that he would call you to follow him. And then in chapter 6, we read kind of out of nowhere this this really interesting story that we're going to pick up in today. This is Isaiah chapter 6. It starts in verse 1. This is what it says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Just pause right there. For those of you who may not know a lot of ancient history, uh, King Uzziah was a king over Judah, and he reigned from the time he was 16 years old for the next 52 years. Years and most of his reign was actually a good reign, most of his reign was actually pointing people back to following god, which was which was great. There was a couple of baubles along the way, but for the most part, King Uzziah was a strong leader. He was not only a strong uh, religious leader, he was a strong national leader. He had done some things and uh, and put in place some things that really seemed to help the people and he had been there so long 52 years imagine if we had somebody in place and power that was leading us in a good way for 52 years how you might feel that you might think man I don't know what we could do without this person so you wonder why Isaiah Isaiah starts off this passage saying in the year that King Uzziah died why is that so notable well, because I'm guessing that all the people are like, what are we going to do now? Where does that leave us now? What, who's going to lead us now? Who's, the, who's going to be the person who steps in now? I mean, who's going to take control now? Who's, who's going to have authority now? And what is that going to look like in the future? And how is that going to impact me? And I don't know about you, but I think our world still feels that way, doesn't it? And we don't still look around with a little bit of panic and think, all right, what's next? Who's going to lead next? What kind of things should we fear next? And I'm sure that was going on. And so Isaiah says, Listen, at the time where there was panic and fear and wondering like who's next and what's going to happen next and who's going to fill the shoes, Isaiah says, Here was God, and He was exalted high. He was seated on His throne. He was unmoved, He was unshaken. He was not worried. He didn't fret. He didn't wonder. He didn't sweat it. He, he had no fear about him. He was still high and holy. And in fact, he says this, the train of his robe filled the temple. And there, some of you are like, see, that's where I got that robe thing from, right? I mean, I knew there was something right ahead about that. And really what Isaiah is saying is, you can't imagine the reign of this king. Like it's all encompassing. And there's nothing it doesn't touch that he's not in control of. And he goes on to describe this scene for us. It says this, above him were seraphim. Stop right there for just a moment. Seraphim were, uh, the the word there, seraph, actually means fiery or burning. It's these angels. We kind of think of like, we just had Valentine's Day with these like cute little chubby things that are shooting arrows, right? And we might think of those of cherubs, but this is not the image that we have here. It's as Isaiah is using these words, these are seraphim. They're burning uh, angels. They're, They're powerful. And this is what he says. They had six wings and with two wings they covered their faces. And and the reason why they covered their faces is because they don't want to lay eyes on the Holy One of Heaven. And with two feet or two wings they covered their feet. And with two wings they're flying around. They seem kind of terrifying. And they call out to one another as they're flying around. Listen to this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. It's interesting that in this description of the seraphim, that they don't say, loving, loving, loving is the Lord Almighty. Gracious, gracious, gracious is the Lord Almighty. Forgiving, forgiving, forgiving is the Lord Almighty. In fact, we actually see this uh, another place in, in the, uh, the book of Revelation. If you flip all the way over to the very last book of the Bible, we, we have this uh, same depiction almost. It's Revelation chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 6. This is what uh, John says writes out to us, and he's describing what he sees uh, in heaven, and this is what he says in Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 6, he says, also in front of this throne, it's interesting that both Isaiah and John point this out, that there is a throne, it's what looks like a sea of glass, it's crystal clear, and in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were all covered with eyes, which is terrifying by the way, and then uh, they were on the front and the back. Then of the first living creatures was like a lion. The second one like an ox. The third like had a face like a man. The fourth was flying around like uh, an eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings. It's like Isaiah had talked about before. Was covered with their eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night they never stopped saying, "Listen to this, holy." the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come it says if those who live in the presence of god himself they they see him for who he truly is the thing that comes to mind the most is the thing that oftentimes we leave out the most and they say, listen, if I could describe God to you in, in kind of one word, it's this, holy. But that doesn't seem to do it. Have you ever been there before where you're trying to describe something to, to somebody and, and they don't get it? So you're like, you know, it was, it was this guy, right? It was, it was the, the tall guy, the tall, tall guy, right? And you're like, you know. As if, as if tall doesn't do it. So you're, you're double, you're repeating that phrase. And then somebody's like, oh yeah, yeah, the tall, the tall, tall guy. Yeah, yeah, I got you. It's almost as if the angels are saying, no, 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 no. Listen, not the holy guy. Holy, holy, the, the holy, holy guy is the Lord God Almighty. Like I can't overemphasize it enough. That when you're in his presence, it's like, that's what you see and that's what you feel. And for some of us, that's the thing that we're like, yeah, that's not what I want. Because holiness to me comes with baggage. And holiness comes with me feels like uh, it's filled with seriousness and strictness and rule keeping and judgmental attitudes. And it comes with fear and shame. And I'm not Sure. I really want to be a part of that. See, of all the descriptors that we have of God, holy is the most used one, but holy seems to be the one that we most often leave out. Isaiah continues on. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. The temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, Woe to me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. God Almighty. 24 years uh, working in a church setting. Uh, it's in, I've had interesting conversations with people, and one of the things I've heard people say repeatedly is, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell God, <laughs> I'm going to ask Him. I'm gonna I'm a, I'm gonna directly point them be like why'd you how'd you I think and probably not I think probably when you see God you'll see a holiness like you've never seen before and what that does to us is it actually kind of puts us in our place. In a beautiful way. And this is what happens to Isaiah. His first words aren't amazing or cool or wow. It's whoa. Whoa is me. And Maybe that's a part of what holiness does. And maybe that's why we don't like it so much. See, God's holiness does two things. It's transcendent, meaning it's beyond us, it's above us, it's, we're not in the same category of, I heard a preacher this week who said, you know, you think about there's two kinds of dishes that most people have. There's the everyday dish that you're not scared to kind of throw in the sink or throw in the dishwasher, you know, and maybe you even use like we do at home, the Chinettes, right, just you'd throw it away, right, and you, you don't really care, you might grab a couple of extra and you're just passing them out and you don't really have any kind of care or respect respect for them. But then some people have the fine china. And it doesn't go where the other plates and cups and dishes go. In fact, it has a special place. It's not to be with the others, right? And when you wash those, you hand wash them and you carefully place them away because they are transcendent of the other ones. They're not in the same category. You use them at special times and special places because you recognize the importance. Maybe they were handed down to you from somebody else. And you recognize the value that everything else doesn't have. And there is a transcendence of God. And in a little bit, I want to explain to you why this is so beautiful. But for a minute, I want you to wrestle in the tension of that with you. See, if I think if we take away the tension of that, then we lose something in what it truly means to be holy. See, the second thing about this that God's holiness does is exposes impurity in us. Isaiah says when he sees God's holiness, whoa, Revelations, let's go back to that one just for a moment. When they're all gathered around Revelations chapter 4, he says... All day and night the seraphim never stop saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come and when the living creatures give glory honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and the 24 elders all fall before him who sits on the throne to worship him and who lives forever and ever, and listen to this, they lay their crowns down before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord God, to receive all glory and all honor and all power, for You created all things, and by Your will, they were created to have their being. See, at some point in time, the elders had gathered around and they had established a crown, they had established some kind of prominence, they established some kind of power, but they recognize in the holiness of God that they aren 't pure enough to keep that, and so they give it up and there 's a certain bit of us, I think that as we are exposed to god 's holiness, we recoil because It blatantly shows us the areas of our life that are not pure. That still have work to do and we don't like that. In fact, we're reminded that sin loves darkness. And we love to be kept in the dark of those things. However, if your only idea of holiness is this. That it's serious and strict and rigid. And no fun and judgmental and rule-following and scorekeeping and fear and shame and gift and, and guilt. Then I need you to know that holiness comes with other things too. In fact, things that give you freedom. See, you may have baggage with the word "holy" if you feel restriction and not also freedom, because that's what holiness brings, that nothing else can't. You may have baggage with the word holy if you feel wrath and not also mercy. Because that's what only holiness can give you. You may have baggage with the word holy if you feel exposed and not also loved. Because I can guarantee you that God knows every piece of you and yet still loves you enough to pursue you. You may have baggage with the word holy if you feel weak and not also empowered. Because that is what God gives you through the Holy Spirit in your life. See, we may have more baggage with the word holy than we have with any other word that describes God. But I believe that if we go back to the character of who God is and understand him as holy, we may understand holiness in a way that causes us to live in a tension of which He wants us to live into. See, we would not experience the unconditional love, the forgiveness, the mercy, the tenderness, the compassion, the salvation, and the forgiveness of God without a holy God. Only holiness can drive us to that. This is important to know about who God is. See, until we recognize the degree to which we are truly in need of saving, holy God will feel like a threat. It will feel like somebody who is trying to expose the very darkest places of us. It will feel like a God who maybe is trying to keep score. But God's holiness is an active pursuit of you and I. It's an active of pursuit of the world in which he longs to redeem. It's an active of pursuit of understanding that God created this thing that he loves and he would send his very best for our very worst. See, that's what it means to be holy. And out of his holiness fly all of the things that we love most about God. And out of His holiness is how we understand who we were created to be. See, way back in the very beginning of time as God created, you remember this if you grew up in Sunday school, the heavens and the earth. You remember this, there's the Garden of Eden. And God gives Adam and Eve all domain over all of creation And they're to rule over it, and life is perfect. There is no sin until there is. And it breaks us. And they felt the brokenness of that so much that they hid because they felt the weight of sin for the very first time, and it exposed them. And I think about that in my life. I think about the times when I, I, I first kind of decided, all right, like, listen, I'm going to follow God the very best. And I remember we talked about this in our, in our uh, Sunday morning uh, discussion today, our class. And, and it's like, I remember the very first time I kind of was raised up out of the waters, baptized 19 March of 1994. And I was like, all right, perfect. This is good. And it wasn't very long later that I remember struggling and sinning in the same areas that I had struggled and sinned before. But this time it came with a whole new weight. I felt like I had let God down. I felt like maybe He didn't love me anymore. I felt like something didn't take right. Or maybe I just wasn't a good enough Christian. And all of a sudden I struggled in that if holiness really looks like judging and keeping score, then I don't want a part of it. I was reminded of this verse, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, who obviously is one of the 12 people who followed Jesus, the, the, the closest in his earthly life. And he instructs as he's writing other believers and churches about who Jesus was and how best to follow him here on earth. He says this in, in verses 13, He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. He's saying, listen, pay attention. Just don't go mindlessly through life because sometimes we can do that. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as coming. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires that you had when you were once ignorant. But just as he who called you is holy. Holy. Be holy in all that you do. I don't know about you, but I remember that first time where I was like, oh man, I screwed up and I thought like I was going to have a whole new life and here I am with the same struggles or maybe those same struggles have kind of followed you. So it's kind of grown dim and you've either, you've either held on to grace and you're like, all right, listen, I'm just going to lavish it into grace because God is gracious and I love that. Or you've been afraid of the truth. It's like, listen, I, I just, I'm not sure I can go there because I don't want to be exposed anymore. I don't want to feel the judgment. I don't want to feel the shame. I don't like the scoreboard because it doesn't favor me. I believe a holy God does is he calls you into an area that allows you to wrestle with the tension of what it means to serve a God who says, listen, I don't condemn you because I'm holy. I go and sin no more because I'm holy. And I'll always love you as a child because I'm holy. Holy call you to a higher standard because I'm holy. And when we retune our lives to the nature of sin and we finally step in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God who was and is and is to come, I think we have no other choice but to praise him because we recognize who we are, who he created us to be, and who he forever is. And that though humanity is broken and sinful, that he loves us anyway. See, God's holiness draws us to worship and participate with him. Isaiah doesn't stop there. He says, listen, the seraphim touched my lips and now he calls me into service. If you keep reading Isaiah's story, God says, listen, who's willing? And Isaiah says, if you let me, I am. See, your sin doesn't impede you. It doesn't negate you. It doesn't Disappoint God. He knows who you are and yet he calls you into further knowing who he is and his holiness and that his holiness will become your holiness as you follow after him. It's not something you have to be scared of. It's not something you have to be frightened of. It's something that you can be in awe of. So today as we worship God, may you and your soul cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. Would you stand for our blessing today? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine on you and give you peace. Now Him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before His glorious presence. Without fault. And with tremendous joy, may you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things and through all things and in all things, both now and now and forever. Amen. Would you worship our holy God with us today?